Yeah. So she was concerned that I was farther along than we thought and that um, she didn't want to put me in a car and me having a baby in a car. Right. So, which I mean, good thinking by her again, Mm -hmm. get a doula. Maybe, maybe you could, maybe the tagline for mine is get a doula. (laughs) For reals, hire one. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to the Happy Home Birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. When did you decide to have home birth? Was it at six weeks pregnant? 12? 29? Were you in labor and nine and a half centimeters dilated in your kitchen? Hey there, happy home birthers, and welcome to episode 118 of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and not to give it all away, but Ren's decision to give birth at home wasn't an early one by any stretch of the imagination. I know you're going to love to hear how it all unfolded. Now, before we dive in, I always want to be very careful and upfront about particularly difficult content. You have the right to know if an upcoming topic could be traumatic for you for any reason. In between Rin's two lovely birth stories, she shares her heartbreaking experience of loss and of medical termination. This is very heavy subject matter, and Rin's story is so important as she shares her heart in this situation, but if you are at a place in pregnancy or simply life in general where you feel that particular topic could cause trauma, please know that it will be between the two stories. We'll begin that part of the discussion after the Home Birth Mythbusters ad for anyone wanting to have a marker there. And because the situation was so heartbreaking for everyone, and because it was quite similar to a situation that happened to someone I love very deeply, I've spent some time searching for resources to add to the show notes for anyone who has experienced or is currently experiencing a situation like Wren's. Please be sure to check out the episode roundup where I'll be giving some more information on that as well as the show notes. And as we prepare to jump in, if you're loving this podcast and you'd like to support it, an amazing free way to do that is by heading to Apple Podcasts and leaving a hopefully five-star rating and a review if you're willing and feeling extra loving. It's truly a fantastic way to help other mothers find this information. Okay, my friends, with all of that being said, let's dive in. And as always, please remember that the opinions of my guest may not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa, and neither one of us are medical professionals, so continue to see your doctor, your midwife, or if you're like me, your chiropractor. Rin, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you and you have two incredible stories to share with us today. So before we jump into those, would you mind introducing yourself to the listeners? Sure. Uh, My name is Ren. Uh, I live in a suburb of Vancouver, Canada, British Columbia. I am 40 years old and I have two kids. I have a four-year-old daughter and an almost six-week-old son now. Oh, congratulations. Both at home. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So I would love to just hear how, how this all began, you know, you with your four-year-old when you became pregnant, how did that happen? I mean, I know physiologically how it happened, <laughs> <laughs> but were you, did you have a plan for pregnancy? How did it all come to be? Yeah. So my husband and I, um, like we didn't get married until I was 29. When we got married. He was, he was 28. 
Um, so, and we had talked about kids when we were just dating. We had said, oh, we want, to, we want to have two kids. But then once we got married, I kind of changed my mind. I was like, I don't think I do want to have kids anymore, actually. Mostly because I just don't want to be pregnant. I don't want to go through that. Um, it sounds awful. Um, really painful at the end. And so I'm not sure that that's actually something that I want to put my body through. And my husband was supportive and was like, okay, like, whatever. Like, I'm not, I, I can't force you, obviously. Um, so we were married for seven years before my mind started changing. And then I just, it, it was one of those things where as you get older, I was like, but I've always loved kids. I was a babysitter. I was a nanny. I was an au pair in London when I was in my 20s. My Both of my extended families have lots of kids. I was always surrounded by kids. And I was going to be a daycare worker at one point. Like, I loved kids. It was just the pregnancy and the birthing that was holding me back. And so um, I just, I don't know, I started to have more thoughts of, I don't want biology to take my chance away, like, because I waited too long. You know, because um, I was 36 at this point. Um, and so I, I had a conversation with my husband. I said, you know what? Maybe maybe I could go through it, but just one time, just once. We could have one kid and that would be enough. And let's try. And um, we'll give ourselves one year. And if within one year I get pregnant, okay, fine. That's what's meant for our family. And if I don't get pregnant, then that means we're not supposed to have kids. And I'm fine too, because I like it just us. And he was like, okay, that sounds good. He's very, he's very supportive guy. And so uh, we started trying for our daughter and we got pregnant on the second try. <laughs> and that was that. <laughs> and that was, so the choice was made for me there. And part of me was like, I remember like I, I took the test at my office because my period was late for like five days and I'm never late. I'm very regular cycle. And I couldn't stop thinking about it while I'm like on the train to work. And so I was like, I'm just going to stop at the pharmacy on the way. I'll take a test in the bathroom. It'll say no. And then I can go about my day. And then it didn't say no. <laughs> and I was like, um, okay, this is this is wild. And I texted my husband. I had him come over to my office because he just worked down the street. And I showed him the test. I had no words. Like I didn't do any cute announcement to him because <laughs> I was just so shocked um, that it was the second try and it was already happening. Like, I'm like, I'm 36. I'm already an old lady. <laughs> I'm already <laughs> geriatric. <laughs> I'm already geriatric at this point. And I showed him the test and he had a big smile and he's so happy. I'm like, but, 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 but it wasn't supposed to happen. He's like, but this is great. And I was just, I was just floored at first. I'm like, well, I guess this is happening now. And because I didn't expect it to happen so fast or at all, um, I hadn't really thought about pregnancy, what, like, what I should be thinking about, what I should be doing, the, the choices. I didn't really think about birth, except for like, for me, women go to the hospital to have babies. That's how my families all did it. That's how they show it on TV. Um, I have a therapist who I knew, um, she's like, I describe her as a bit crunchy or whatever. Um, she's a, uh, she's an attachment parent. She's a secular Buddhist. She's a very natural person. And so I knew that she, for her son had, was planning for home birth. She ended up having to have an emergency C-section, but I knew that was like in her wheelhouse, but I didn't know that. I didn't think that was for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, my pregnancy was kind of textbook. I had really bad nausea the first trimester. I didn't, I threw up maybe one or two times and it was mostly just waiting too long to eat. As long as I was eating all the time, I was, I could hold it off. Um, and then once I hit the second trimester, it was like, everything was magical and golden. I was running, I was riding horses. 
you know, um, everything was fantastic. The third trimester was pretty fine, you know, just a bit tired as normal. Um, as I was going through my pregnancy, like I had midwives, I chose midwifery care. My, my doctor, my GP had said like, you have, you can find, uh, you can find, you know, a, another GP who handles pregnant women. I don't, you could, if you want, you can, um, have midwives, which is what a lot of women do in this province. Um, or you can have, um, what's the female doctor's name who delivers baby. You uh, can have one. Or... Yeah, there you go. Sorry. I'm tired. Oh no, you're fine. Um, you could choose one of those three ways. And, um, I chose midwives because I, even though, um, I never really thought about them before, I kind of had the impression that they would give me the most kind of like one-on-one -on -one care, like give you time, not rush you out of the office, that kind of deal that more traditional doctors do. So I, I loved my midwives. I knew midwives did home births, but I didn't even, that wasn't even in my mind. I, I joked with them from probably the second trimester on that I wanted my epidural a week ahead of time <laughs> because just I just didn't want to feel anything, right? Like I had my, my hospital picked out. I was going to do the epidural. Um, I wasn't thinking about home with at all. We did decide to hire doula. Um, my husband is from France. I'm from a different part of Canada, so we don't have any family here. Um, and I don't have a close relationship with my mom anyway. So it's not like I'd be having mom there to be with me. Um, and you know, we have, we have some friends, but they've all got their circumstances and there just didn't seem to be anybody else around who could support us in the birth itself. And so we decided to go with the doula, which is a great choice. And I highly recommend everybody, even if you have family to get a doula, mm -hmm. um, cause they just have, they just, they just know how to support your body. They know how to support the birthing person they know how to support the partner they have so many tricks you know um and they just know so much they're just such a valuable resource and so that was really really helpful because um if they felt more accessible asking questions like even on a daily day basis then maybe like having to page the midwife all the time so we did that and then so leading up to the birth I was due um beginning of February of 2017 um I was getting close to 40 weeks I hit 40 weeks nothing was happening and then on a Monday I went for a midwife appointment for a check and they asked me if they, if I wanted them to sweep my membranes. And I said, well, okay, try. And so my, my wife went to go, but my cervix was so high and closed. Like, no, nothing's coming out. She was like, there's no point in me even trying. Nothing is happening up there. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that, that's disappointing, but all right. So that was a Monday night. But in, in the middle of the night that night, I started to have some contractions, but it ended up being a prodromal labor. So in the nighttime, they were about five to seven minutes apart. In the daytime, they were like 10 to 12 minutes apart and they just never got any closer. But they were happening so con consistently that I also couldn't really go to sleep. Mm. Um, so that Monday night, I was on the phone with my doulas in the middle of the night and Nicole, my doula was like, do you want one of us to come over? I'm like, no, just talk to me, you know, just talk to me. I don't think I need you here just yet. It's like, okay, so we did that Monday night. We continued that Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, my midwife, I hit 41 weeks. So my midwife sent me for a, a non-stress test just to check in on baby. And that all checked out. And the, the technician there said, like, you've only had one contraction since you've been here. So unfortunately, um, I hate to break it to you, but this might go on for a while. Ugh. And I was like, uh, that's terrible. <laughs> I don't like you anymore. <laughs> um, but all right. So I went home that Wednesday night leading into the Thursday. I'm on, it's midnight. I'm on the phone with my, my doulas again. And Nicole's like, let, let me send one of us 
over. Like, just talk to me. Like the, the person at the hospital said, this is going to keep going on. Like, there's no point in you coming over. And she went, Renee, like we should have been there two nights ago. Just, it, it doesn't matter if you don't have the baby tonight, just let us come over and support you. Your husband can get some sleep, you know, that kind of stuff that this is what we're here for. So I'm like, fine. All right. If you insist, you can come over. So my uh, doula, uh, it was Allison showed up at two and then my daughter was born at five. So uh, if I hadn't let them come over that night, it could have been an even more dramatic story. Whoa. Um, because when she came at two, she told me later that she had a suspicion that I was actually in active labor at that point, but she didn't want to get my hopes up. So um, what uh, other things that were going on at this time was uh, that the hospital where I had chosen, where I wanted to give birth, they have to have two OBs on staff at all times to be able to handle everything. One of the OBs on their staff had had a medical event of his own, I think a heart attack or something. Mm -hmm. So um, they were only had one. So they were not accepting new births. They were taking care of who was already there, but they weren't taking any more people in. So I wasn't going to oh. be able to go to my hospital choice that night. What would you have done? So you would have gone to a different hospital? Yeah, so they had given privileges to my wind vibes at a different hospital that was a bit farther away, mm-hmm. down what we call the, the number one highway. It's a it's the Trans-Canada Highway. It literally goes from one end of Canada to the next. Gotcha. Um, so that was where they would have sent us. Um, when my doula showed up and she like checked in and, and she saw how I was doing, she had convinced me to go to the hospital to get pain relief. She's like, even if you're not, actually in labor right now, it might be a good idea to go just to get some, some things so that you can get some sleep for when things do start happening. Mm-hmm. Cause you haven't slept in a couple of nights now. And I'm like, all right, fine. Like I will do that. But I knew that they were going to give me morphine and gravel and I've never had morphine before. And I was just really scared to have it be my first experience while having contractions and potentially giving birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I had been very resistant to that, but at this point I was like getting pretty tired. So I was like, okay, fine. And she's like, and maybe, maybe you've, pre- maybe something is actually happening. Cause this is all preparation, no matter what your body's doing something. Right. And maybe they'll keep you. You just don't know. So I was like, okay, fine. So she was on the phone. This is a wonderful thing about a doula. Cause she's handling all these phone calls. She's phoning the ambulance to get them to come to take me. She's phoning the midwife on call to give her a heads up of what's happening and saying like, could you maybe come over? Cause she knew the uh, the midwife on call that night lived near me. So she was like, maybe could you come over and check her just so that we can get a better idea of where she's at before the ambulance shows up. So my midwife was like, yep, on my way. This part is a bit fuzzy because things were intensifying at that point, but my midwife and the ambulance arrived within minutes of each other. Um, so the ambulance that they were setting up, they were getting the lay of the land and my midwife checked me in my kitchen and I was actually nine and a half centimeters dilated. Whoa. So quick question yeah. with the ambulance. Yeah. It was that just the, pl- what was the reasoning for the ambulance? Is that just more of a common way to do that? Or was there a reason that you wanted to do that as opposed to like driving to the hospital? I think that my, my doula was pretty certain that I was actually in active labor gotcha. and, um, that I had, uh, cause she said that, cause at one point I did, I, I, she, she's like, uh, Renee, uh, cause my name is Renee, but most people call me Ren, but uh, some call me Renee, some call me Ren. Um, she said, do, like, do you, are you feeling the urge to like push? I'm like, I don't know. I got really grumpy with her. I'm like, I don't even know what that feels like. I've got to go to the bathroom. And I like stopped <sighs> off in a pub. 
<laughs> like, I gotta uh -oh. leave me alone. And so I went to the bathroom and I guess, and when I was in the bathroom peeing, um, I made this really deep guttural groany noise. And that was really when she was like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like maybe something more is happening here. And we also think that's when my water broke Oh, because I don't have, and I don't, I can't tell you, like, I didn't start leaking fluid at any point. So maybe it happened when I peed, maybe I wasn't peeing. Maybe I, my water was just breaking and that's the urge that I was feeling. Wow. Yeah. So she was concerned that I was farther along than we thought and that, um, she didn't want to put me in a car and me having a baby in a car. Right. Totally. So, which I mean, good thinking by her again, mm -hmm. get a doula. Maybe, maybe you could, maybe the tagline for mine is get a doula <laughs> for reals. Hire one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So my mama said nine and a half centimeters. The paramedics were there. They offered me the laughing gas as pain relief mm -hmm. just since they were there um, while we decided what we were going to do. And I tried, but you have to like, keep your lips sealed around it. And I couldn't do that and breathe through contractions at the same time. So I was like, just take it away. I don't want it. Mm -hmm. Forget it. I'm doing this without any drugs. And, um, and then they said like, obviously it's your, this is your body. This is your baby. This is your choice. If you really are insistent on having a hospital birth, like we can take you. Um, but there is a good chance that you'll have the baby in the ambulance, which might not be ideal. Right. And I was like, I, I don't want to be in a moving vehicle right now. Mm -hmm. Let's just do this here. Like you guys do this all the time, whatever. Let's just do it. And that's when I decided to have a home birth. Wow. The most last minute home birth choice. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I was like, I don't know, you guys know what you're doing. And I think that part of the, part of what made me feel like that this was a good decision was that I trusted my team. Uh, like I trusted my doula. They've never in all of my care with my doulas and my midwives, they never made me feel anything other than that calm, supportive, like no matter what happens, we got this, you know, we can, we've seen it all. And so even me as a first time mom who had really was attached to the idea of a hospital birth with drugs, um, I was so far in it at that point. I'd been dealing with contractions for days. I'm like, how much worse could it get? Right. Um, I'm almost at the end now, literally. So then the, my midwife, cause they have to have two midwives for a home birth. So she called her back up and had her like say, like, bring your stuff. We got to do this here. Jump in um, the car. Don't worry about a bra. Just get in the car yeah. and come. <laughs> yeah, this is happening. It's even five minutes, okay? Um, so uh, yeah, the second the backup showed up, my my doula was, they'd given the, when you have a doula, they let you have a TENS machine, which is really wonderful. So I was doing the TENS machine on my back. Um, and I was really following, I guess, just like instincts because I hadn't thought a lot about like birth positions. I'd taken a birth prep class and, you know, all of that stuff, but I hadn't done a lot of thinking about that. I really felt like I went into this one blind a lot of ways. Like I went to the, you know, the, the infant care uh, prep class. I'd gone to an optimal fetal positioning class that my doulas had run and that kind of stuff. But otherwise I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. Right. And, well, and I mean, I guess that it, that would have worked out fine if it had, you know, if it had ended that you had gone to the hospital and, you know, gone down the path that you had expected. I guess yeah. that makes sense why you were like, yeah, I'm not really worried about it. Like, I know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And also, um, I do. I am somebody who I sometimes get overwhelmed by too much information. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't want to know. I want to have it happen. And then I want somebody who does this all the time to tell me what I should do now. Um because you know better than me, you're the authority in this area. Um, 
So I was kind of doing that as well. And I think that helped me in this instance, um, because if I didn't, hadn't read about what this or that, then I'm not agonizing over which choice to make. And I'm also, I hadn't read about things going wrong. So I'm not worried about those things. That's fair. <laughs> so, you know, if I don't, you know, ignorance is bliss. And so, yeah, in the end, the backup midwife showed up. I started, I did end up having to push for a couple of hours. Hmm. Um, but I ended up giving birth on my yoga mat in my living room <laughs> and and it was fine. Um, and she was there. And then I was like, this was, I, I had no, I know a lot of women have what they feel like birth trauma, um, or they have a lot of conflicting feelings over their births when they don't go the way that they had planned them to go. Right. And mine went really off plan. But again, I want to say like, I felt so supported the whole time and like nobody else around me was worried. So why would I be worried? Mm, I you know, that I had nothing but positive feelings about the whole thing. Um, and now it's a really funny story to tell. <laughs> and I, I still have the yoga mat. I still do yoga on it. And that awesome. yoga mat has seen some things. Has <laughs> seen um, some things. Has experienced some life. <laughs> including my placenta. So they, you know, and the, but, you know, once she was out, my placenta was delivered totally fine. Um, she latched right away and she still loves her boob. <laughs> Hmm. Um, at four years old uh, <laughs> and I, I was moved to the sofa at one point my midwife assessed the damage and I did I had a third degree tear that was quite hmm. significant um so I ended up having to have a hospital transfer afterwards they had to call the ambulance back oh um, so they had my left midwife, and then came back yeah she started to sew me up so she had literally started doing stitches and then realized that it was a more significant tear than she could have than she initially saw and then she unstitched me and said we gotta bring you to the hospital for a surgeon to do this and I was like uh okay oh man thankfully you know she had frozen the area so I didn't really feel it it was just kind of like I didn't know that being stitched and unstitched was a thing that could happen turns out yes <laughs> yeah so then the, the ambulance came back um my daughter and I were put in it um my uh doula followed with her car so that and my husband stayed home with the midwives to get cleaned up um and then they came afterwards um so I I would she was born at like five just after five in the morning I got to the hospital about six um and then the uh oh so another like dramatic thing that was happening at this time is that there had actually been an ice storm that had hit while I was laboring Oh, wow. So that number one highway was shut down. So we could not go to the hospital where my midwives were given temporary privileges. Oh, my word. So, yeah. So they were going to take me to a, a different hospital where my midwives wouldn't have privileges, which and it was farther away, too, which means they wouldn't have been able to come along. But then the paramedics, when they showed up, said, there is a hospital that is closer. They're telling you guys that, that where my midwives have privileges. They're telling you guys that they're diverting because they're too full, but that's not an official diversion. They're just telling you that so that you don't send people. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> but you've already, you've already had your baby. So if we just take you there, they're not going to turn you away. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, okay, that sounds good. Cause this hospital's a lot closer. My midwives are allowed to be there. Mm. So that's what they did. And the, uh, the paramedics rolled me in. And I remember the nurses at the intake uh, desk kind of like giving them the stink eye, like, what are you doing here? We're <laughs> diverting in quotes. 
And he's like, yeah, but we're here. You got a room? <laughs> and they gave, they gave the paramedics a bit of sass, but they found a room for me. And uh, yeah, because they really couldn't turn me away at that point. I'm on a stretcher with my baby and my bleeding vagina. Like, what are they going to do? <laughs> right. <laughs> Ask for forgiveness, not for permission. <laughs> exactly. I'm pretty sure that's what they were operating on. That's um, so, it's nice to have paramedics in the know. That's awesome. Yeah. And I was like, you two are my favorite right now. I really <laughs> like you. So they took us in a room. Um, I ended up having to wait quite a while to actually get stitched up because the OBs were doing an emergency C-section that had bumped a scheduled one of twins. So they oh, had wow. to go through like two other C-sections before they could get to me. But um, I was given an IV. We were just hanging out and, and, and it was fine. And then when they went to do my stitching, they gave me like a local freezing um, in my spine. And I remember looking at the, at my midwife and being like, oh, now I get my epidural. Okay. <laughs> I see. I'm pretty sure I asked for this a week ago, but yeah, all right. exactly. and she kind of chuckled and she hung out with me and yeah. So then I had to stay at the hospital a few hours until like freezing wore off and I could show them that I could empty my bladder and, you know, all of that stuff. But, and they offered, it was quite late at that point. They offered to let us stay the night, but the room was noisy. Like it's a shared room. There were two other families in there. And I was like, but I've like, I, if I had not torn, I wouldn't be here. Right. So why would I stay here? I don't need a hospital. I need my bed. You're suddenly very into home birth. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's, it's funny how fast that can change. Yeah. So then, yeah. yeah, we packed up, we went home and that was, that was that birth. Um, that was home birth number one. Home birth number one. And then we discussed before you, before we started recording that after that birth, you became pregnant again. When did that happen? So I had, I had, I was very much in the one and done camp for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, I've also followed the path of an attachment parent and I just wanted to make sure that my emotional resources were fully available for my child. And I didn't want to be too overwhelmed by too many people having needs. Um, I feel you there especially because I also I'm a sensitive person and I have many intense needs and I wanted to make sure I could take care of myself as well so I thought you're human um, that's so interesting right (laughs) it turns out I also have needs yeah it's it's funny how that works (laughs) and my daughter definitely she she's a lot like me she's very sensitive she's very high needs um she you know she had a lot of nighttime needs for a long time and she still does you know and 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 her dad just doesn't do it for her it's me she wants me and I wanted to be able to honor that so I wasn't sure if a second baby was a good idea um also I wasn't sure that I wanted to go through pregnancy again in the end I was like childbirth is fine it's the 40 miserable weeks of pregnancy that I don't want to do again um so but she was about three and a half when again my 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 mindset started to shift I started to think about uh as she got older and you know when one day my husband and I pass away and I don't wouldn't want her to navigate the loss of a parent kind of by herself. I mean, there'd be friends, there'd be cousins, but it's not the same as somebody who shares the same parents as you. Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff. And just thinking to myself, like, would I feel grief over not going through pregnancy and birth a second time and the experience of raising a child? Or do I feel satisfied with the child that I have? Like, is this enough? And more and more, I started to feel a bit unsatisfied. Like, I think that I would like to go through it one more time. I would like my daughter to have a sibling. I would like 
because of my positive first home birth experience, I would like to do it again on purpose this time. Yeah. Cause I feel like I learned so much from that. And it was, it was, it was beautiful in the end. It was dramatic. It was not the plan, but it was so beautiful the way that it went. And I would like to see what it would be like to, to do it as part of the plan. And so we decided, we, again, my husband and I, like, I mean, I'm 30, how old am I? I was, I was 30, like nine or 38 at this point. So time is not on our side. Um, so they say anyway, right. But again, another year. Okay. Let, let's give this, let's give it another year. If it happens, it's meant to be, if it doesn't happen, it's not meant to be. And we're happy with things the way they are. Hey mamas, let me interrupt for a few quick moments to share some great news. I have a free class waiting for you. Home birth Mythbusters, the five myths you need to bust to have a happy home birth is my free gift to all of you who are considering home birth planning your 15th home birth, or are just curious to know more about what this is all about. Head to myhappyhomebirth.com forward slash mythbusters to select a time that works for you and get started. You'll gain access to not only this incredible free masterclass, but you'll also be given access to sign up for Happy Home Birth Academy and an incredible bonus stack of resources. So wait no longer, head to myhappyhomebirth.com forward slash mythbusters and reserve your seat today. Okay, back to the show. And so we started trying at the end of last year and um, it took about five cycles to get pregnant, um, which still is not that long, especially considering that we are advanced in age. I'm never going to let that go, by the way. We are advanced. I like that. That's a good way to put yeah. it. We're just advanced. Advan- well, it's either geriatric or they call you advanced maternal age here anyway. Very cute. So yeah. Um, so that was, I got my positive pregnancy test in December of, of 2019. We were very excited. Um, and they, in here in my province, you get what's called like a dating ultrasound, usually between like either eight to 10 weeks where they date your pregnancy, give you your official due date and and whatever, and see that the pregnancy is proceeding on track. Um, I had in really, really, really intense nausea and vomiting this time around for this first trimester. Mm. It was quite debilitating. Um, and it was hard to balance the needs of my daughter during that time. Cause we weren't telling her that I was pregnant because just, I just wanted to get out of the first trimester make sure everything was fine before I gave her this life-changing news. Right. So it was a bit tricky to try to explain why mama was so sick <laughs> all the time, <laughs> all the time. And I was sleeping when I wasn't puking, I was sleeping, you know, and, and to be like, it's not forever. You know, I promise I won't, this isn't like, I'm going to get better, but not be able to tell her why I was so sure about that. Right. You know, so, um, it was a challenging first trimester. And then I went for my dating ultrasound. Um, and then a couple of days later, I got the call from my midwife with the results where they said that they had detected a potential anomaly with, with the baby. Um, and that they were going to refer me to a maternal fetal medicine specialist for another ultrasound to confirm if there was actually a problem. Um, and so obviously that is a phone call that you don't want to get. 
um, we were, we were really scared. Um, and that ultrasound happened just shortly, um, after my daughter's third or fourth birthday, third, third birthday. Yeah. Third, sorry. It time blurs. It's sometimes <laughs> like, what, who even, what is even my name anymore? Right. And where are we? Um, yeah. So it was just after her, her third birthday. Cause I remember being at her having her birthday party and talking with a friend and being like, so we've got this ultrasound coming up and I hope that we get, you know, good news and that it was just a mistake mm. that something might be wrong. But we went to that appointment and the, and the, the specialist confirmed that there was an encephaly, there was a portion of the skull that was missing oh, and that um, there was brain tissue in the fluid filled sac that had formed around that hole. Oh, Ren. So it was, obviously like devastating in that moment because this was a baby we really wanted and we had done the NIPT um, genetic screening um, which we done with our daughter and come back fine and we were waiting on the results of that and he had me the, the doctor had me phone my clinic to get my NIPT results so that he could hear them um, and they told us actually that the screening had all come back. Okay. And the, and that the sex of the baby was a girl. And we, we had been really hoping to have two little girls. Like it doesn't really matter, but it's just like right. this funny little idea we had for a family. We really liked having a little girl. And, you know, so this was like the little girl that we had been dreaming about, but we couldn't keep her. Mm. Um, because he said that, you know, there was a good chance that at some point that I would miscarry. Um, that if I did make it to term, that she would probably not make it through birth. If she did make it through birth, she would not live very long. And even if she did beat all of those odds, there was a good chance that she would have significant um, genetic impairment. Mm. And it just didn't feel like it was worth it to put that little baby through that. And also our older daughter, because we would for sure be um, raising a significantly impaired special needs child. All the power to parents who are able to do that, but it was a very slim chance we'd even get to that point anyway. And thinking about if we did, how it would change our daughter's whole life because the, our, everything would be about this new person who would need so much help, so much help. And what kind of life would that be? Um, and so we made the decision to terminate the pregnancy, um, because the odds were just too stacked against her. And it felt like the more humane choice, even though it was the last thing that we wanted to do. So about a week later, I went, I had a hospital appointment and I went and I had a DNC and we ended that, that pregnancy. And it, it was very devastating. I'm, this is the first time that I've been able to, to tell it without losing it. Yeah. Um, because it was, it was the exact last thing that we wanted to have happen. Mm -hmm. And, um, so the, the specialist from there, um, recommended that he put me on a high dose folic acid prenatal, even though I thought I was taking the best prenatal. I mean, sometimes these things just happen. You, mm -hmm. you do everything you're supposed to do and it's, it's always, there's always a chance. And unfortunately it happened to us. Um, so he said to take it for a minimum of three months before starting to try again, um, to let it build up in my system. And so, which was, I mean, it was fine because I, I needed those months to process what had happened and to, to know that I was okay. But 
it had been interesting because when we first got that phone call, like I said to my husband, I'm like, if this goes badly, like I'm not going through this again. I'm, I, I made it essentially because um, the procedure happened like on the last day of my first trimester. So I made it through this hellish trimester and I didn't even get a baby out of it. Mm. And I didn't know if I could do that again. Right. Yeah. But then when yeah, I was I in that room with him and he was telling me that, you know, 99.9% sure that she would not survive. I was like, the only way I got through that moment was telling myself, I'm not giving up. I'm going to try one more time. Mm. I have to. Yes. That, so, you know, I, uh, this, this does hit so close to home and a season of a close, you know, someone that I'm, I'm very close to, um, a very similar diagnosis and, um, very just similar, you know, events. And it, it is, I just putting myself, I've, I've tried putting myself in these shoes and it is just painful. And all I can do is just say, you know, I just, you know, I just pray for her heart, for any mother's heart that has to go through, um, this kind of, you know, the news and then the, what follows, it's just, uh, I, I can't, I obviously not having experienced it, cannot put myself in those shoes. And I just, you know, I just pray for your heart and for anyone who's experienced it. It's, it's probably like one of the most excruciating things that I've gone through in my life. I mean, you get that phone call and then you have to wait for mm -hmm. the, it was, it, uh, they, I had to wait two weeks for that follow-up ultrasound with the specialist because he wanted the baby to be farther developed so that he could get a better look at what was going on so you have to wait in this terrible limbo space for two whole weeks hoping against everything that it's all a mistake trying to prepare yourself that it's not a mistake and not even knowing like how do you even start to process that how it's it's unfathomable and I think what really was the kicker and just made it a million times more painful was you know when we went for that little that ultrasound I saw her moving on the screen like she's alive you know, she's far enough developed that I could see her little arms and legs and, you know, reacting to the wand as he moved around. It's like, you're an alive little creature and I love you already. And I have to, because I love you, I have to let you go because you, you could die at any moment. And I don't want to think about the kind of pain that, that you would be in if you were to, able to, to live through birth and, I just can't, I'm already your mother. I'm already your mother. And I'm going to do what I think is the best choice for you. And unfortunately, this is it. This is it. And it was, yeah, it was absolutely devastating. I think it's, I mean, I've never gone through, you know, an early miscarriage where you wake up, you bleed and, and the pregnancy is over. Um, and, and that's going to be devastating in its own way. But the, like, still, sometimes I close my eyes and I see her moving on that ultrasound and they just have that pang of like, if only, if only. And uh, yeah, so it took, I mean, I don't even think that I'm completely over it now. I do feel a measure of healing because I have this healthy baby now, you know, it's like a redemption that we were able to bring out another healthy baby into this world. But at the same time, it's like, you still think about that little person and who they might've been. Yeah. And um, that they're part of your family, even though they, they weren't here very long. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah. So we spent those three months. Um, during those three months, lockdown happened. Oh gosh. Because now we're starting into COVID times. 
and um but i mean that was that was what it was we got through like everybody else we hit the three months where we were allowed to start trying again we were also <laughs> um in the middle of selling our house we listed our house for sale the week before lockdown hit oh boy um, because we had bought a house that was being built so it was under construction so we were but we didn't know how long it was going to take to sell. So we wanted to sell the house. And then the plan was to rent until our new house was ready. So that was a whole thing we were trying to juggle at the same time, showings, keeping your house clean, um, preparing your house for showings in a COVID world and all of that stuff. Um, and then um, we hit, it was May that we were allowed to start trying. And um at a, a moment where I woke up, I, you know, I was doing charting, I was doing camping, all of that stuff. Um, I knew I was coming up into the portion of my cycle where, you know, either my period was going to start or it wasn't. I had told myself that I wasn't going to test early because it's just too much of an emotional roller coaster. Um, I was going to wait as long as possible to give myself the best chance of seeing if, there were, if the test was positive or not. And that was working out pretty well because I, I kind of felt like I was letting myself off the hook from testing. Um, and then I woke up one morning and I just couldn't let go of the idea. I just couldn't let it go. I was like, I need to know. I need to know. <laughs> so like my daughter woke up and um, I sent her off to wake up for dad because he sleeps in a different room from us. She sleeps with me. And when she was going to wake him up, I went to pee. I took the test and I put it on the counter. I was finishing cleaning myself up. Then I looked and I saw the line. I was like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> this is our first cycle trying. It doesn't make sense. Um, and, and then I was like, well, you know, it was just one of the like the um the, the, the quick sticks. It wasn't like a fancy first response or anything like that. It was just a little thick test. And it was from months ago. So I'm like, maybe the test is faulty. Right. <laughs> I struggle a lot with like disbelief and being like, this can't be happening. Mm -hmm. Um, so I went to my husband's room where he was with our daughter and I was like, I think I need to go to the pharmacy. He's like, why? I was like, well, I just took a test and like, I'm trying to like, not get my daughter to start asking questions because she's very persistent. Um, I took a test and I think I maybe see something and so I, but I'd like to get one that's more recent, maybe a bit more accurate. <laughs> and he's like, okay, whatever, do what you gotta do, right? So I zipped off to the pharmacy. I got the first response test and, and I went home and I think I, I still took it that day, even though technically it's not first morning urine anymore. Um, and it was positive. And we were like, uh, what? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> As if this was happening again already. And then yeah we were oh we were planning on we were moving at that point we were packing up and getting ready to move because we had sold our house and we had found a rental and all of that stuff and and i was like wow i guess i'm moving into this rental pregnant that's crazy um and i waited i waited until quite far along before I, I let my midwife know because I was afraid of being disappointed and I didn't want to I didn't want to have to go through setting up all of those appointments and then having to cancel them again uh. and the specialist um had told us like when if you guys are able to get pregnant again I am willing to to follow you in your first trimester 
and do all of your ultrasounds and 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 like take care of you for that which was uh, to me it was a really wonderful thing for him to say because it felt like um somebody knowledgeable and skilled and somebody could help us along and take care of us and was offering that help to us mm. and I didn't have to go looking for it what are you doing so I contacted his office when I got pregnant and 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 we had a phone call and strategy session and whatever and so that ended up that first trimester again I was even sicker than the one before it was awful but COVID because COVID had hit my husband was working from home at least so he was around and that kind of got us through and everything went fine for all of my first trimester ultrasounds and it was other than that it was pretty textbook when so that specialist saw me up to the 20-week anatomy scan and then I was discharged from him uh, around that time I set up my midwives I went back to my same midwives and I let them know and and then from there we we planned to have have a home birth on purpose, on purpose this time <laughs> um and you know it was I think it would have always been our plan like I said like I came away from my first birth with such positive feelings about everything that it just made sense to want to do it at home like why would I'm not sick why would I go to a hospital and then COVID was an extra layer of inspiration because they're not allowing, they, you, you can take your partner, but you can't take your, your child. Like mm -hmm. my daughter wouldn't have been able to come to the hospital at all. Um, she's very attached to me. She's never been away from me, even for a night. Again, I like, we have no family here. So it's not like she can go to grandma and grandpa's house. Right. So then there would have been the chance that I would have been birthing without my husband because he would have to stay home with her. And then, I mean, we got a doula again, which they're wonderful, but. It, it, the, the idea of him not being there always was just too sad right um for him to miss out on that and um for I didn't I, I I tried to be really mindful of how having another baby would change my daughter's life I wanted to really minimize the things that changed because of the baby right so I didn't want her first experience of having me gone for an extended period of time be because the baby is being born so essentially the baby is taking um, me away from her um, I really wanted to foster as much of an attachment between her and the baby as possible and make this feel like this was her baby. It wasn't something that was just happening to her. This was a family thing. Mm. Um, so that encouraged us to have a home birth as well because then she could be around. Right. So then it, be and it became a matter of just planning for this home birth and also how do you prepare an almost four-year-old for a baby brother whose due date was four days before her fourth birthday. Oh boy. <laughs> Do I plan? like, I mean, nobody's really having birthday parties anyway, thankfully. So I didn't have to worry about that too much, but you still want to make her day special. But how do you like, I don't, will I have a baby? Brother? Will I not have a baby? Um, one thing that uh, we had, I had to, to be mindful of was the MFM's recommendation because I was 39 and would be, delivering when I was 40 was to be induced at 39 weeks is the recommendation here because they have some research that they say that an older woman's placenta deteriorates faster leading to an increased risk of stillbirth which is not the idea that I needed in my head right um with my daughter's pregnancy I, I felt like I didn't really have a lot of worries because what was I mean 
everybody was telling me things would probably be fine and the odds were in our favor. But now because I had experienced a loss, I knew that bad things could happen um, and they could happen to me because they had. And so I did find that I had a lot more anxiety in general in this pregnancy because I was always waiting for the bad thing to happen. Um, and that made it more, that made it definitely more difficult. Like I just wanted him to be here and I wanted to know that he was okay. And so when I get told like induction at 39 weeks, well, like an induction means I'm having a hospital birth. Induction means that my daughter is not with me. My husband is maybe not with me. And it, it means that if I choose a home birth, am I putting my baby at risk because I want to be at home? So that was a mental game that I had to really had to work through. And um, thankfully, like I was, I brought it up with my midwives, with my doulas. They were all very reassuring. They were like, okay, all the MFMs give that recommendation, but the research on it is actually quite weak. Right. There, you know, we, I, one of my midwives was like, I had a home birth with a 47 year old just a few days ago and it was beautiful and it was fine. You know, like they, they say that to everyone. It's not because you have particular circumstances that put you at increased risk. So I'm like, okay, thank you. That's reassuring. But it was still always in the back of my mind, you know, and I, I really was like, I, please be born before 38, please. <laughs> please. Then I don't have to face the induction question and worry if I'm making the right choice or not, because I've already given birth. Right. And then there's more space between your birthday and your sister's. And that might be nice too. <laughs> so, um, when I hit the third trimester, I started going to acupuncture to try and, you know, balance my body, prepare it for labor. She knew that I wanted to ideally give birth before 39 weeks. And um, so she was, you know, she's like, I can do some labor stimulating points when you get a little bit further along. And so I'm like, all right, that sounds good. You know, I was eating dates. I was listening to evidence-based birth podcast as well, because they, she did a series on like, all of these natural induction things on what's the research, do they actually work, which ones are helpful, which ones are not. And there seems to be at least some research behind dates softening your cervix. And so I was like, well, you know, dates, I mean, I like how they taste. So if nothing else, at least I'm eating something yummy. Right. That Healthy. seems like a good thing to try. Mm -hmm. And acupuncture, I mean, there's some, some studies that say like, maybe it's helpful, but I was like, I get to lay down in a dark room for half an hour and just kind of rest while there are some needles stuck in me that I don't even feel like there can't be anything bad about that. <laughs> it's like a scheduled nap. I am okay. on board for this. So I did acupuncture. My acupuncture was really wonderful. Um, and then when I hit 37 weeks, so I was, you know, term, I was like, okay, you can start trying to get him out now. Like you can serve him his eviction, his eviction notice. I'm, I'm ready for this. And so we did, she did two treatments that way. And after the second one, I started, I did start having contractions just before I turned 38 weeks. And so, um, yeah, I'd had the acupuncture treatment on like a Thursday that night at like three o'clock in the morning. I, my daughter rolled over and needed a cuddle in the night. I cuddled her. I rubbed her back. She was back to deep sleep. And I turned over to get myself comfy again. And I felt like a spurt of fluid in my underwear that did not feel like I peed myself. And I, that was, I was like, there before. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh dear. <laughs> I think that something just happened. So I got up to go to the washroom. And as I'm like, trying to go to the toilet I'm leaking fluid on my bathroom floor I'm like oh my god I think that my water is breaking 
and it hadn't happened this way for me my first time. So I was like, this is a really new feeling and a new experience. And what am I supposed to do now? Like, oh my goodness, am I having a baby today? So I'm on the toilet and, and I'm thinking to myself, um, my pads and that I was saving for postpartum and whatever, they're all downstairs because we had put my birth bucket with all of our home birth supplies down in the main living area because that's where we were planning to birth. We had the pool down there and and all that. So um, I like thinking to myself, okay, I've got to get into the closet and get a clean pair of underwear, not leak on the carpet. <laughs> and then I need to get downstairs and I need to get a pad and get back up all without my daughter waking up and noticing, okay, I can do this. <laughs> so I grab a towel and I kind of wrap it around myself like a diaper to stop the fluid from going on my carpet. And I waddle my way into my, my closet. I get an underwear. I waddle my way downstairs. I get a pad and I get my stuff on. And I'm like, all right, this, it's okay. This is okay. Um, and I get myself back into bed and I'm not really feeling contractions at this point. I'm just, every time I move positions, I'm leaking fluid and it's pretty gross, but I'm like, okay, something is happening at least. And it took um, it took quite a while for labor to actually get going. Um, he was born almost exactly 48 hours after my water broke. Oh, and wow. Yeah. So, so very different from your first. It was very different. And, you know, I spent those two days on the phone with my doulas and with my midwives and like trying to decide. Now I'm facing an induction question because the recommendation is if, if labor, active labor isn't started, you know, 24 to 48 hours after your water break, they want you to go get induced because of an increased risk of infection. Right. And I was like, ah, and before 39 weeks, but now I still have to think about induction. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop because I'm like, I, I, you feel like there's very little you can do at this point besides like wait it out. But they're like, no, there's things we can do. Don't worry. There's things we can do. So, you know, I, uh, I spent a lot of time bouncing on my, my, my exercise ball, doing hip circles, doing a lot of walking, um, trying to, to get contractions going. And I was having mild ones, but they were very sporadic. They weren't, they weren't close enough to be called any type of a pattern. Um, and I did that for like one day, my doulas were amazing and they got me a last minute chiropractor appointment on the second day. And so I went and had a chiropractic adjustment, which was, which was really wonderful. And, um, and then uh, my doulas came over and they did this thing that they call shake the apples. This is what I love about doulas. Like they just have all these tricks and they have funny little names for them. So I had to like get on all fours with my bum in the air and she took her rubozo and she was like literally shaking my hips to try to shake him into a better position in the birth canal. Because what my chiropractor thought was that maybe even though I knew that he was head down um, based on a recent ultrasound, um, it could be that his head was just turned or something, just a little bit, not putting enough pressure on the cervix to really get things going. Right. So after the chiropractic adjustment and then the shaking of the apples, kind of think they're like, let's try and see what we can do to get baby lower down and really like get things going. And so like I passed the 24 hour mark and I'm, I like, I, I had a breakdown on the phone with my midwife being like, I don't know what the right choice is. Like, I'm really scared of something happening to him at the last minute. Like, even though I know I'm not at 39 weeks and I'm my placenta isn't going to like shrivel up and die in this moment. Suddenly I'm thinking about stillbirth again. Right. And I'm like, I just, how, and if I'm just at home trying to get things going, how do I know that he's okay? So if I'm at a hospital, they're checking his heart rate. Right. And, and I will, I will know every step of the way if he's okay. And this was be, that fear just started building up in me more and more. It's like, I've, I've, I've lost the baby. 
I can't get to the end and lose this baby. I can't. Um, and I don't want to make the wrong choice because I have an idea of where I want to give birth. And um, I really found that my, my, my mental game suffered in this birth. And I, I would encourage women to not just think about the like logistics of where they want to give birth, but really spend time finding mantras, finding ways to help yourself mentally, especially if you have anxieties going in it. Cause I feel like I, this time I got a bit too overconfident in the fact that, Oh, I've, but I've done a home birth before I've done it. So, and that time was, was totally fine. And I wasn't afraid of anything. So why would I be afraid this time? Cause I'm already an experienced home birther, but it's a different baby and it's a different birth and you're in different circumstances and the things that happened in between can affect what's happening to you now. And I felt like giving birth to him was more painful than my daughter. And I think it was because I was scared. I was scared that something bad would happen at the last minute. And that fear was what was making it painful. Um, that, and so if I was going to do it again, I would have spent more time on my mindset and not just assume that I'd be okay because I was okay last time. Right. And so, yeah, so things uh, were still kind of sporadic and I was starting to, to feel like discouraged and wonder if I was going to end up needing to be at the hospital. Um, the Saturday going into the Sunday night, um, I got my daughter off to bed. I came downstairs. I was, I was getting through my contractions. I was texting with my doulas and they were like, do you want us to come over? I'm like, I promise I won't ask for help at the last minute this time. <laughs> and she's like, okay, good. So call me if you want one of us to come over. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to say, send someone over. I'm not going to wait. Just send, send someone over. So my doula was Dawn that night. Dawn showed up and um, I had been timing contractions, but I found that stressful. So she told me just to stop. And so I stopped timing them and we were just hanging out together. She sent my husband upstairs to go get some sleep. Um, and then, um, then at around midnight, my daughter woke up calling for me. So we sent my husband up there, but she was having none of him, <laughs> none of it. Like you are not who I want right now. So my husband ended up bringing her downstairs and I was, I was contracting more regularly at that point. And we do think that like, um, actually having her come downstairs, I gave her, she came and she cuddled me on the sofa. I gave her a kiss. I told her everything was okay. And that mama was okay. Um, and my doula thinks that actually ha having her wake up and come downstairs. And then that cuddle was the oxytocin boost that my body needed to really get going. Right. And then plus I wasn't having a, one, a, a, a question in my brain, like, will she wake up? Will she sleep through it? I don't know. <laughs> she will wake I, up. <laughs> now we yeah. know. So now, now she's awake. Now the question is answered. And I had done my best to prepare her. We had watched some YouTube birthing videos. Um, and so she knew, she knew that babies came out of the vagina, that that's how he was going to come out. She knew that I might, you know, it might be painful for me, but that it was helpful pain and normal pain and that it was pain that was helping to get him out of my body and that it wouldn't be forever. As soon as he, would out, he was out, it would stop and that I would be okay. And, um, and yeah, so after she came downstairs, things really picked up. My contractions started coming closer together. Um, my doula called the midwife, got set up on filling up the pool. Um, and, uh, then once I was able to go in the pool, I was, I was contracting it there. They bring in there. I was draped over kind of the side. My daughter went and picked up a piece of paper from our Island and she gave it to my doula at one point. She said, here, this is instructions on how to get the baby out. 
John didn't know. John, the dog was wonderful. I was like, thank you so much. That's such helpful information. <laughs> and so she was helping John put cold cloth on my forehead and on the back of my neck. She was bringing me sips of water. At one point, she she looks at me and she holds my hands and she goes, Mama, it's okay. You're in good hands. Oh. And I was like, how do you even know that phrase? And the appropriate time to use it. Like she was. <laughs> She was amazing. And I had had a worry, like, how would it, like, we've talked about it, but when you actually see me going through it, how are you going to be, you know? And, um, cause she often gets very worried about the idea of me being hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, but she was just brilliant and, um, I should have just trusted her ability to just roll with it. She's a really incredible kid. And, um, I did, when I was giving birth to her, I didn't make a lot of noise through contractions, you know, just, I was pretty quiet and I was, ex again, I was expecting that again, but because this felt more painful to me and because my water had already broken and I kind of felt like I was up against a clock, it felt like it hurt more. And I was like, I just need to get him out. I need to get him out. And I feel like I, my midwife checked me and I was only about six and a half centimeters dilated. And so, but I was already feeling a lot of low down urges. I'm like, I think I'm already feeling like I need to push. And they're saying, well, it's too soon. Like you can't push. And it was very odd to be trying to go against what I felt like my body was telling me to do. Mm -hmm. Like I'm having a baby, but I'm not supposed to push him out. That doesn't, that didn't really make sense to me in that moment. And they were very like gentle and kind about it and just trying to support me and be like, it's not quite time. And they uh, like to have the second midwife there before the pushing stage. So like when you have to wait for Sylvia to show up and, you know, kind of deal and, um, I did a lot more screaming than I anticipated, which is not who I am. Um, and a lot more shouting. And, and uh, I had more breakdowns in the pool because I just felt so overwhelming. And I was, again, those worries, like so worried whether he was okay. Every time they kept it, they were checking his heart rate regularly. But because I was in the pool and, you know, it's a bit hard to get position, it would take a minute to really find him. And that minute was the longest minute of my life. Um and just like, just please, is he okay? Is he okay? Yeah, he's okay. All right. And um, at one point, I really, like, I started screaming, like, I can't do this. I don't want to be here anymore. It hurts too much. Um, and I found myself feeling, like, embarrassed that I was having this these giant noisy breakdowns, like, that I was doing something wrong somehow. And, but but Don was like, it's okay. Like, it's fine. It's normal. You're okay. Um, you're safe. And we're here with you. And But at one point, my midwife did look at me and say, like, I need to know. Um, how serious you are about not wanting to do this here anymore. Do you want us to call the ambulance and have you taken to the hospital? Have you changed your mind? No, 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 I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. You don't have to apologize. Everything is okay. But we just, I just needed to check in with you. I'm like, okay, but maybe you need to get out of the pool. And then I started crying because I was like, my contractions are coming so frequently right now I'm like when am I going to have a chance to stand up I can't I can't get out of the pool in the middle of the contraction like I, I can't do I, I can't get out I'm stuck in the pool <laughs> and John's like, and John was like you're, you're not you know you're not stuck though there will be a break we'll find your moment it's gonna be okay I think I can't get out of the pool like, it's all right we're gonna, we're gonna figure it out you're okay you know kind of deal and then there was that moment I did I had a moment I was like okay no I think I can stand up now and they helped me out of the pool and I went to my sofa, which had been covered in many layers of protection. And I kind of draped my upper body over the back of the sofa. 
And uh, like we have a, a, a sectional, so it has like a long kind of chaise end that's more like a little mini bed. So my lower body was there and then they were still like, okay, so just try and breathe through the pushes or the urge to push. Don't push quite yet. Like Sylvia's on her way. Um, and they hadn't checked me again. So I don't, I don't know how dilated I was at this point, but as I'm there on the sofa, just moments before Sylvia walks through the door, I have this incredible urge to push that I just cannot hold back. Right. And I kept, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, it's okay. I'm like, please stop apologizing. You're okay. And then he was just out. He was just there. And my midwife thinks that the position change from moving from the pool to the sofa just mm -hmm. brought me the last distance. And there was just no holding this baby back. And like literally five minutes later, Sylvia shows up and she's like, I missed it again, huh? Because yeah. she was the backup for my daughter's birth. <sighs> Oh, that's <laughs> after all the action had happened oh wow yeah that's I mean once you get that that urge you know that fetally yeah. like there's no holding back like it's just happening so that's yeah it was and that's really how it felt it's like and I'm and I'm I'm screaming and I'm also saying sorry at the same time this is very Canadian I said sorry a lot during this <laughs> like I'm, I'm so sorry that I'm not holding back like you're telling me to and they're like we're not bossing you around we're just trying to have you do your best like there's no wrong way to do this here you know um and they were so they were so like reassuring and, and everything but I was like I'm sorry 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 so yeah that's that's the story of a Canadian home birth oh, <laughs> happening. um yeah and so then I laid down they put him on my chest my placenta came out with no problem I had a very mild second degree tear this time but very mild she was able to stitch me up and, and no problem and it was fine and um he latched really easily like a champ and then they looked over at my husband and said do you want to call uh like cut the cord and he just he looked green in the face immediately he's very squeamish no <sighs> and, he, and he kind of ran away and then I looked at my daughter and I said Saya do you want to do it she's like yeah so she ran over and she helped the midwives cut the cord and it was amazing oh wow it was yeah. difficult i would say it was more difficult than the first time even though i thought it would be easier but you just never know how it's gonna go but in the end it was it was again i would say like i have nothing but positive feelings because i felt like i had the right people around me mm -hmm. and that does it just makes all the difference what yeah what an amazing journey. And uh, Rin, thank you so much for your candidness, your openness, for sharing everything that you shared. I'm happy to. And yeah, like I hope that I hope that anybody listening, like especially if they're older, like you can still trust your body. Our bodies still know what they're supposed to do. And um if you get if you get concerning advice, like talk to more people, talk to your midwives. My midwives are great. They sent me research articles, like and then that we, we broke down and we went over and um, with the right with the right people around you, everything's going to be okay. And they're never going to steer you wrong. And I think that's what I learned from both of these experiences. They were very different. Um, and and in, in both of them, there were things that went not according to plan. But I mean, a plan is really just an idea. Mm. And then you just roll with whatever happens. And if you have the right people around you, it's all going to be fine. It's going to mm. be fine. Beautifully put. Oh, thank you so much, Ren. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Wow. What a story. It's filled with love, loss, heartache, and beauty. And as we head into this week's episode roundup, my heart is heavy. 
I know that Wren is not the only mother out there who has experienced or is experiencing a painful diagnosis for their baby and all of the fear and sorrow that accompanies such an event. In preparing for this episode, I did reach out to a group of midwives and doulas and even a bereavement doula who provided me with some resources that their clients have used in the past. Those recommendations have been put in the show notes for you. If you're unsure of how to check show notes, usually you can just swipe up on your podcasting app or you can go to myhappyhomebirth.com forward slash episode 118. Rin also sent me an organization that she found very helpful, and that will be included as well. You know, I so deeply value the sanctity and sacredness of life, and I so greatly mourn with the mothers and families who are faced with these situations and all of the aftermath that comes with such painful diagnoses. More than anything, if this pertains to you, I want you to know that you're not walking this alone, and if you need support, encouragement, or hope, please reach out to me. I will gladly help you navigate in any way that I can. Thank you, Ren, for feeling safe to share your heartache with us, and not only your heartache, but your triumphs. The deciding that at nine and a half centimeters in your kitchen that it's time for a home birth, when you previously declared that you wanted an epidural a week before labor, that's incredible. My friends, it goes to show you it is never too late to change plans. Next, the oxytocin boost of Ren's last labor. This truly caught my attention. I love that Ren's daughter's presence was the catalyst for the increase of intensity in her second birth. Our hormones are so important when it comes to physiology of childbirth, as Rin's snuggly daughter so perfectly showcases. Okay, my friends, that's all I've got for you this week. Thank you, thank you for listening, and I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast.